Good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Corey. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It is a pleasure to be with you here this morning. I want to uh, share with you guys a little bit of an experience I had yesterday morning. Um, I, I had an opportunity to take my, my little girl on a kind of a daddy-daughter date. We went on a hike, and, and as we're heading um, to, to this hike, uh, that song, Reckless Love, the one that we just sang just a moment ago, it came on the radio, and we just blared it up. And, uh, and as I was singing these, these words and kind of reflecting on them, I just I started getting like overwhelmed and just choked up by this, you know, and I, and I got to tell you, like, I'm not a, I'm not a crier. You ask my wife, like, I don't, like, emote at all. You know, it's like, I'm pretty level. I think I've been hanging out with Aaron way too much lately. Like, he's, he's been rubbing off on me. Uh, big crier he is. So anyway, so I, I just start getting overwhelmed by this song, and my little girl looks over at me, and she says, Daddy, why, why are you crying? And typically, I'd have some kind of funny thing to say back to her, but I just, I looked up in the rearview mirror, and I looked back at her, and I said, sweetheart, sometimes, sometimes I'm just reminded and sometimes I just get overwhelmed by how much our God truly loves us. And the older that your daddy gets, the more he realizes his need for Jesus. I just need Jesus. I need him. And, and I share that with you all this morning because as a church, we truly believe that Jesus is what we need. And Jesus is who we want to talk about. He, we really believe that one of the most important questions that you'll ever answer in your life is, who do you say Jesus is? What are you going to do about him? And if you look at like, like in the entire world, most world religions have something to say about this guy who showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago and entered into our turf and into our life. And because of that, we believe that it's just an incredibly wise thing to, to examine who Jesus is to find out everything you possibly can. And so maybe this is your first time here. We welcome you as a guest. Maybe you've been here for a little while. But what you need to know about us as a church is that we take a look at Jesus. We, we study his life. We examine his words. We, we try to put into practice his teachings. And over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to eavesdrop in on some of the conversations that he had with the Father, God. In other words, we're going to be taking a look at the prayers that Jesus prayed. Now that might sound kind of weird because Jesus himself is God. He's having a conversation with God. But like Jesus felt the need and the desire to pray. And he does so on, on many occasions throughout the scripture. But today what we're going to be taking a look at is actually an entire chapter that is devoted to a prayer that Jesus prays in chapter 17. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up, turn them on, uh, and get to John chapter 17. Here's the deal, guys. We're not going to be able to make it through the entirety of that chapter today. So I want to encourage you throughout the week, maybe in your neighboring groups or uh, like during your own personal D1 time, like make John 17 a point of conversation. Read through it and see some of the other things that are spoken and said in this chapter. Uh, now here's the deal. Many of us, many of us, when it comes to prayer, don't even have a blue clue where to start. It's, it's a very mystical thing. It's, uh, it's an abstract thing. It's, it's, it's difficult for us. And so hopefully over the next couple of weeks when we look at the prayers that Jesus prayed, we're going to be able to help give you guys a little bit more context to be able to have a conversation with God yourself. And so what we're going to do is, is we kind of flip through the pages here of John chapter 17. We're going to take a look at how Jesus prayed. We're going to look at who he prayed for. And we're going to look at what he prayed about. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 1, we see right here, all right off the bat, it says, after Jesus said this, all right, giving you all a little bit of uh, context of where we're coming into this concept, John is recording the words of Jesus. Jesus just gets finished having a conversation with the people. He's been teaching. In other words, what, what he's been doing is he's been speaking to the people on behalf of God. And then he turns, and now he starts to speak to God on behalf of the people. 
he starts to pray. And so th- then what he does is, after this he says, uh, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. Now I want you all to notice the posture of Jesus here in this moment. Uh, what he doesn't do is he doesn't, doesn't bow his head and close his eyes and fold his hands to talk to God. I, I think somewhere along the, wi- uh, the, the, the lines, some very creative and wise Sunday school teacher had a very rowdy class and he taught them how to pray with their eyes closed, their head bowed and their, and their hands folded, right? To keep from distraction. As a matter of fact, if I was to ask you guys to pray right now with me, your typical response would be just that. You would close your eyes and you'd bow your head and, and you'd probably nudge your kids if they're not doing the same thing, right? But that's not what we see here in the posture of Jesus. It's actually quite opposite. We see him with eyes open, looking up to heaven. That is the posture that Jesus offers. And I, I would actually encourage you, maybe, maybe that's something you can practice yourself, especially if you happen to be driving while you're praying. Please keep your eyes open. Don't bow your head and close your eyes, all right? So Jesus enters into this posture. He looks toward heaven and he prays, Father, the hour has come. And he continues on. Now, stop real quick. Look at how he addresses God. Now, he's not the first one or the only one to ever refer to God as Father, but the word that he uses in this, in this, in this context, the word that he most oftentimes uses is this word Abba, which literally means Daddy. The way in which Jesus himself relates to the Father is in such an intimate, personal way that it drastically changes the way that the rest of the world would come to know God himself and, and therefore how we actually communicate with him. Jesus refers to him as Father, Daddy. I'm coming to, to you with a conversation. And then he continues on. He says, Father, the hours come. Glorify your Son so that your Son might glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know what Jesus is doing right here? Uh, This part of the prayer is actually part of his confession. Now, now you and I, when we think of confession based upon your, you know, like wh- where you grew up or how you understood religion, typically when we think of confession, we think of uh, like telling our sins, like speaking out the things that we've done that's, that's wrong. We confess our sins, and that's certainly a part of confession. Jesus, who was a sinless man, didn't have anything negative to confess in that regard. And so it, the complete picture, though, we see in Scripture is confession is actually simply telling the truth. That's what confession is. Confession is telling the truth. It is talking to God about the things that you know to be true. And that can be the things that you've done, whether they're good or bad, you're speaking those things, the things you believe about Him, the things that you desire, the things that you want, the things that you've seen, the the praises you want to give to Him. It is confessing the truth about Him. And Jesus makes an incredibly bold confession about the truth right here when He says, now this is eternal life. This is it. That they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, which I love that he refers to himself in third person here. I don't know, I'd like talk about myself in third person sometimes, and so this is a great way for me to relate to Jesus. But then he switches gears a little bit, and he goes from confession to, to this request part. Now, for you and I, we're pretty familiar with the request part. Matter of fact, Aaron is gonna be uh, sharing next week about the Lord's Prayer. I'm really super excited to hear what he has to say. Make sure you all come in and tune in to that. But, but this request part, we are pretty good at this because when we go to God, it's typically because we're asking something of him right? It's, when we go to God in prayer, almost immediately we start into this requesting thing. And, and we see that that is a part of prayer, but look how Jesus does this. What he does is he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, what he asks is this, 
glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, oftentimes our requests are very selfish and self-motivated, self-centered. Understand that Jesus is asking something for himself, but it is anything but selfish in this situation. He's asking for the Father to glorify him, to lift him up, but he's asking him to do so on the cross. You see, Jesus speaks of his glory in this regard. His glorification is actually the finale of his ministry. It is the, the death, burial, and resurrection that's getting ready to happen on the cross. And he says, Father, I am, I'm ready. I'm ready to finish this thing. Glorify me so that I can actually be with you at the very beginning like I was before. And you have to understand that this statement, this, this request that Jesus is making is something that we should really wrestle with because he is, he is saying, in essence, he's saying, for everybody who is hearing this, I was there at the very beginning. I am the immortal God. He is, he is making a claim to divinity at this moment in his prayer. And so for those people who, who hear Jesus' words and they say he's a good teacher or he's a, simply a good example, you need to understand that he is either delusional or he is the divine, one or the other. He's not making any bones about this in his prayer. His confession and his request shows these things that he's praying for. What we see in the, in, in the consecutive verses leading uh, into the next part of the, the passage here in his prayer is that he kind of rotates back and forth between confession and request. He's just bringing these true statements and he's asking things of God. Uh, but then we get this really telling, important insight in the remaining of, of his prayer in verse 9. So flip with me to, to verse 9 and see this. We see that he actually details who he is praying for, his audience, his target of this particular prayer. And this is what he says in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. Who's them? Specifically, he says, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So he's praying for his disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So he's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for unity, and he's praying that he wouldn't take them out of the world, okay? Now, what's really interesting is that Jesus feels the need, as he's speaking to God in the hearing of other people, to, to clarify who he is speaking to and who he is not speaking to. And one of the things he says is, I'm not talking about the world. When I pray this prayer of unity, I'm not speaking of the world. Now, this is a little bit weird for us because in our minds, we go straight to things like John uh, 3.16. And we see, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have an everlasting life. And, and what, we, what we try to do is we, sh we start to imagine Jesus with a mic drop going, all right, I said it, it's done, Right? But, but what we don't do is we don't continue to hear the words of Jesus in verse 18 and verse 19 whenever he says, here's the deal, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, they are no longer condemned. But if, if, if those who don't believe in me, they already stand condemned. And he goes on to talk about the virgins is this, I am the light, but, but men have loved the darkness and they're not choosing to believe in me. What we see is that Jesus' relationship to the world, his mission, his very mission was actually to come and draw a line in the sand. In, in Luke chapter 12, he says it this way. He says, do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? No, I've actually come to divide people against each other. So Jesus stands and he draws a line in the sand. To the world, he says, guys, I am the dividing line. I am the sword. There will be those who receive me and there will be those who reject me, but I am dividing this world between those two camps. 
And if we're not careful, if we don't understand the audience of, of John 17, when he's talking about those who have received him, this is who he's talking about to be united in, we might be tempted to start thinking that we're actually supposed to be united with the world, but that is not what God is calling us to be. He's actually called us to be divided from the world. His very prayer that he's praying for the people that are his is that we not get taken out of the world, but we're protected from the evil one and that we know our place in this. You see, he's never called us to actually be united with the world. In the world and not of the world? Yeah. Loving the world? Absolutely. Going to the world, being called? Absolutely. But never united in this particular way. You see, for Jesus, not always are right. Not all roads lead to salvation. Not always are thinking are beneficial. And he's trying to make this abundantly clear to us. He's not praying for the world. Matter of fact, my... My, my uh, wife had a conversation with this uh, super nice gal that she, she met when she was picking up my, uh, our kids from the playground. And uh, as she's having this conversation with her, uh, so they somehow get into this spiritual conversation. And my wife finds out that this gal uh, goes to a spiritual community. She considers herself very spiritual. And, um, and so my, my wife, I love how she does this. She just says, you know, say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? She like gets straight to the point. And, uh, and as this gal starts to beat around the bush a little bit, she, she communicates something that is not uncommon for me to hear. I hear this often. You probably hear this as well. But what she says about Jesus is, you know what? We think that he's a good teacher, but we, we, are, we try to keep open-minded. We try not to be closed-minded and not legalistic um, because uh, we believe in his teachings as well as uh, Buddhist teachings and Muhammad's teachings and, 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 and other teachings as well. And so we try, we try to stay open. Now, her response is one of, of tolerance and openness, right? And, and really a sense to kind of unify everybody around this concept that, that all roads lead to the same place. But here's the problem on two levels. One, there are many followers of Jesus that would make that same statement. And two, if she is right about this, then Jesus is wrong. Catch that, guys. If, if she is right about the fact that all roads lead this way, then Jesus himself is wrong because he says he's the only way. And if, in fact, Jesus is actually right about this, if, if what he says is true, then it is neither kind nor loving to be able to accept that kind of tolerance because we, tr we believe that love is, is the fullness of truth and the fullness of grace. And so here's the deal. The world will try to draw us in and try to make us think the way that they think. We are not called to think the way that the world thinks. We're not called to be united with the world. Paul actually, he mimics the statements of Jesus when he says in, in Romans 12, he says, do not be conformed to the world in the way that they think. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are supposed to be different. You are supposed to think differently. And so here's the deal, guys. Unity is not conforming. It is not conforming with this world. And that's not what Jesus is asking us to do in the first place. Because he came to divide. We got the world over here. We have the followers of Jesus over here. He's telling us to be unified with the followers of Jesus. It's important that we get the audience right. It's important that we understand who he's talking to or we'll miss out on this part of the equation. And then Jesus again clarifies another group that he's talking to in verse 20. So follow me over there to John chapter 17, verse 20. He says this, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. In other words, it's not for just the people who are following me currently. But he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is he talking about here, guys? He's talking about the future followers of Jesus. He's talking about all those who will eventually hear the message and say, I choose to receive and not reject that message. 
in a real sense, I just sit with me on this for a minute. This is just amazing. 2,000 years ago, in the hearing of others and in a conversation with the Father, we have the recorded words of Jesus praying for people like you and me. That is what his prayer is. His prayer is specifically for you and me, those who would actually come to know him eventually. He is praying a prayer over us. That's an amazing thing. And we get to eavesdrop on this conversation. Jesus is about to have a conversation with the most powerful cosmic being in the world. And what does he choose to pray for? Let's take a look at it. This is his prayer for all that would come to believe in him, that they all, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are one just as you and I are one, and you are in me and I am in you. And he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Let, let me set the stage for you a little bit. I, we know that who he's talking to, all right? We know what he is praying for, but understand the context in which he is saying these things. You see, Jesus, Jesus is, is getting ready to be betrayed by one of his friends. He's getting ready to, to go to the cross of what he calls his glorification. He's getting ready to conclude his ministry and his opportunity to speak to God on behalf of us and of all the things that he would want from us. He could ask God for anything. The, of all the things that he could pray for us. He could pray for, uh, for boldness. He could pray for courage. He could pray for perseverance and endurance. He could pray for obedience. He could pray for faithfulness. Of all the things that he would choose to pray for, he prays for unity. Why? Why unity? Why is, is unity such an important thing to Jesus? In order for us to understand that, I think we have to chew on a couple of phrases that we see in this very text here in John 17, 20 through 23. And, and here are, here's, here's one of the phrases. One of the phrases is this, just as, just as. What we see is that Jesus calls us to be united. He wants us to be one. That is his prayer. That is his desire. That's what he's praying for. If it, we, we to be one just as he and the Father are one. What does that look like? What does it look like for for Jesus the Son and, and God the Father to actually be one. Thank goodness we were actually able to see the recorded words and, 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 and the history of Jesus. We are actually able to get a glimpse of the kind of relationship that he had between him and his Father, this oneness of the Godhead. That is what he's calling us to. And so we need to look at that in order for us to understand what that looks like for us, how we can respond to one another. One of the things that we see that the, the Son and the Father have, that just as we are supposed to have, is this, that they were on the same page in purpose. The Father willingly sent the Son to this earth to fulfill His mission. And, and the Son willingly accepted the call. They were in the same page on purpose. Uh, they were also completely dependent upon each other. We, we see in, in Jesus' words that He actually said, I, I don't even speak or do anything that I haven't seen the Father do. I'm completely dependent upon Him. It's an amazing thing. Then, then we see this leading to a submissiveness for the sake of the mission. I, I can only imagine that it pained the father to pour out his wrath on his son and jesus himself speaks to god he says if there's any other way take it from me but they were willing to be submissive for the sake of the mission because they knew what was at stake and he said you were worth it they they were set on lifting each other up building each other up glorifying each other not concerned with themselves but but lifting the other one up 
It's a beautiful relationship. And ultimately, all of this came to demonstrate a beautiful, perfect, genuine, sacrificial love that was shared between the Father and the Son. That's the picture that we get of, of Jesus and his Father. A genuine love that is shared between them. And that's what we're actually called to ourselves. That's what Jesus is calling to us to in this concept of unity. And you cannot have unity without actually loving somebody. You don't necessarily have to like them or agree with them on everything, but you cannot be united with somebody that you don't love. It just can't happen. Actually, in John chapter 13, just a few chapters before this prayer, we see Jesus making this statement. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. By the way that you actually love on each other, other people will know that I have sent you, that, that you are mine, that you actually represent me. Guys, the church, the church is not supposed to be known for talented singers or engaging speakers, but great love. That's what the church, the body of Christ, the collective group of disciples of Jesus is supposed to be known for. Sacrificial, reckless, world looking on saying, what in the world are you thinking kind of love? And so if we are supposed to demonstrate this, what it means is that, that we need to have the just as kind of relationship with each other that Jesus has with his father. So how are we doing on this? Are we on the same page in purpose? Are, are, are we submitting to one another for the sake of the mission? Are, are, we, are we leaning into each other and on each other? Are we becoming dependent, carrying each other's burdens? Are we concerned with ourselves and how we look? Are we, we making other people look good and, and lifting them up and encouraging them? Are we demonstrating a reckless, sacrificial, genuine kind of love with one another? Because that's the just as kind of love that Jesus has called us to. And that leads us to the, the second phrase that we need to examine if we're gonna understand why it's so important that Jesus says that we need to be united. And that's so that, so that in this passage, it says, just as I want you to be in unity with each other, just as the Father and I are, so that, catch it, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, the way in which we respond to one another actually reflects the very mission of Jesus. Our unity gives legitimacy to Jesus's mission. And when we fail to be united, we actually sacrifice what people think about Jesus. It continues on in the passage, so that the world will know that you have loved them. Jesus is saying, the way that these guys react to one another and respond to one another will actually be a physical visible representation of your love for the world. That's what he tells us. See, our unity should actually lead others to see the Father's love. Now guys, I don't understand uh, like God's math. I don't understand the equation very well, but, but Jesus flat out says that the way that we are united to one another has the ability to actually physically and visibly represent God's love to the world around us. I wanna illustrate that real quick. So uh, have you guys come on up. Nikki, Robin, come on up over here real quick. This is going to be a silly illustration, but you all will get the point, okay? So here's the deal. Uh, Becca, come on up here. Hold Kevin's hand, which you're not going to mind doing, I know, all right? Hold this guy right here. Nikki, hold my hand. Robin, hold her hand. Here's the deal. This right here, this thing represents God's love. This represents the, 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 the visible representation of his love, okay? 
Uh, now, Robin, I want you to hold Kiffin's hand. That right there is God's love. I don't know if y'all know that or not. This is it. Okay? When we are locked hand in hand, united in mission and in purpose under the banner of Jesus Christ, there is a physical representation that the world can see, can hear, can smell, can taste. It is tangible to them. But at the moment that one of us lets go of the other, the moment that we cause any kind of division with one another, it sacrifices this visible representation of God's love. All right, y'all can go sit down. My kids are really looking forward to this, by the way. This is, I know it's kind of a, of a silly representation, but somehow, some way, Jesus understands this, and that's what his prayer for us is, that we would be so united with one another on the most essential things that the world around us would look and say, I gotta know about this God, because obviously he's a God of love. Obviously he sent Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for us. But you wanna know why the world has a hard time seeing God these days? We don't do this real well. We find all sorts of things to divide ourselves about. Our lack of unity is actually misrepresenting God's love for humanity. And it is disheartening to say the least, but I think it breaks the heart of God when he looks down and he sees all the different ways in which we choose to separate and divide ourselves for things that are not division worthy. Understand, Jesus came to divide and he said on this, on this line, which is himself, receive and reject, that is worthy of division. But there are so many other things that we allow our differences to divide us in. Guys, that's not okay. It's not okay. Because it breaks the heart of God and we misrepresent him to the world around us. Now, when I say that, guys, there are absolutely things that we need to be united on in terms of our beliefs and our theology. There are some things that are essential to our faith. The fact that there is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, like that is something that we need to understand, that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God who laid down his life on the cross, picked it up again, defeated death, and is ultimately gonna come back for us one day. Those are things that are what we consider essential beliefs of our faith and understanding. We must be united on those things. But for so many of us, we cause division between us, either in our hearts or either physically with other people because we disagree with them. Guys, don't let our differences divide us in this way. There are so many other things that we don't have to allow our differences divide us on, both theological and practical, all right? But some of the beliefs that we have don't have anything to do with our actual destination. They don't have to do with Jesus himself. They just have to do with our own understanding and representation of how it should be done. You know, for instance, okay, there, there's, I, I could go on forever about this stuff, but when we talk about communion, we're going to do communion here in just a little bit. There are lots of different concepts of how communion should be done and when it should be done and where it should be done. We can have great conversation about this, but to allow like somebody to be divided because you guys choose to do it once a month and we choose to do it every week, that's ludicrous. It breaks the heart of God. People, people wrestle with this whole idea of, of how Jesus is coming back. And we think of like post-millennial or pre-millennial or all-millennial. And, and you know, we can have great biblical discussion about what this might look like. And I might choose to disagree with you of how this is gonna end. But the essential part of this matter is that Jesus is coming back and it's gonna be final. We can agree on that and therefore we can be okay with disagreeing on how it actually happens. 
We shouldn't divide our fellowship based on that. Never mind all the silly things that we fight and divide ourselves over, like the style of music or the instruments that we will use to play or the, the color of our carpets or the places that we choose to meet in. We even argue over the spiritual gifts and how they play out. Guys, the essential thing is that when Jesus comes into us, we accept him, he gives us his spirit, and that spirit manifests itself in us in some way or form or fashion. We can have different conversations about what that might look like, but we shouldn't allow that to divide our fellowship because that breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Unity is not conforming. We know that, right? But uniformity, uh, unity is also not uniformity. And what I mean by that is there should be multiple expressions of our faith. And we can be okay with looking a little bit different. You see, trying to do things the exact same way actually limits the effectiveness of the body and the creativity that we should have. There should be many different expressions. And when you demand uniformity, you inevitably get corruption and stagnation. That's not what Jesus is asking for when he calls for unity. He's not asking us all to look exactly the same, say the exact same thing, believe the same ways, practice in the same ways. What he's asking us to do is find the thing that unites us and allow us to look just as he and the Father look in that. Hey guys, I gotta, I gotta let you know, this, this has actually been a really, what I thought was gonna be a really easy passage to kind of dissect with you all, um, man, it has been really, really challenging for me. Um, and I've, I've, spent, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and contemplation and reading over and over this passage because in, in my heart, I go, I get it, I understand it, I know what it looks like to be just as, um, I, I, I know what the effects are when we actually get it right, so that, but why in the world are we still so divided as a church? Why are we so divided? And then I felt like last night as I was reading over this passage again, God just laid this on me and I read it through and in the very last verse that we get to in verse 26, it's the concluding statements of Jesus' prayer. This is what he says. He says, I have made you known to them and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them. Catch this. That I myself may be in them. So it's processing through that. I just, I felt this coming to my mind. It's like, why, why is the church so divided these days? If Jesus desires to be in us, I started thinking, is it possible? But the reason why we are so divided is that a lot of the people who call themselves Christians don't actually have Jesus living in them. Not only do they not have him living in them, maybe he lives in them, maybe they're just not being submissive to him. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I just know this, that if, if the Spirit of God doesn't live in us, we don't even have the capability of being united with one another. But if he does live in us, that is... That's it. That's the dividing line. If the Spirit of God lives in us, then that means that I belong to God. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, if the Spirit of Jesus lives in you, that means you belong to God, which means you are my brother and sister in Christ. And we have a connection that is deeper than anything else in this world, any other differences that we might have. And that is why I can go to, to multiple countries and I've experienced this where I don't speak the same language. I don't understand their different theological concepts that we might disagree on. But that person who has the spirit of Jesus living in them is my brother and sister in Christ. And I can be united with them in that mission. I can be united with them in that purpose. 
We don't have to speak the same language, think the same things, believe all the same things in order to be united by the Spirit of Jesus. And so as we, as we wrap all this stuff up, let me try to put it in some practical action steps for us as a church. I think as we process through the prayer of Jesus in chapter 17 here, the first question that each one of us needs to ask of ourselves to do some introspection is this. Does Jesus live in me? Not what you, you call yourself a Christian. Not do you show up to, to church. Not, you know, is that what you believe? The, the question is, does Jesus live in you? Does the Spirit of God actually dwell in you? And some of you guys might be asking, that, like, I, I don't know. Like, how do I know? Or maybe you're saying, I, I don't think he does, but I want him to. Guys, please, 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 from the bottom of my heart, let me beg with you and plead with you. Can we have that conversation? Can we talk to you about what that looks like? We would love to be able to have that conversation either at the end of the service today or sometime during this week. Catch us, all right? Now, others of you might, might see that question. You're like, yes, I am 100% confident. I know that I've received Jesus and his spirit lives in me. Okay, for you, then the question you need to ask yourself is this. How you doing with just ask? How you doing with just ask? Are you on the same page and purpose with other followers of Jesus? Are, are you bearing other people's burdens and carrying the load that they carry? Are you leaning on and depending on others? Are you submitting for the sake of the mission? Are you lifting each other up instead of thinking of yourself? Are you demonstrating a genuine, reckless, sacrificial kind of love with those who would call themselves followers of Jesus who have the Spirit of God living in them as well? Are you seeking unity or something in you causing division? I think we have to wrestle with that because if we want this world to know a God who loves them, it starts right here. It starts right here. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Let's pray. Father, uh, you know more than most how, um, how much I've wrestled over this. And uh, I wrestle with it because I know that in my heart of hearts, there are things that I allow to cause division if not outwardly, inwardly, between me and other people who have different concepts, different beliefs, who might interpret scripture differently than I do, different practices, I know that, that that happens. But I also know that you have this intense desire for us to be united, and I'm trying to figure this out, Lord, I, and I pray that we would wrestle with this and we would try to figure this out. And it's gonna be messy. Truth and grace always is, we know that. but. Help us, help us to diagnose our hearts. Let us know for sure that you live in us and then allow your spirit to actually be the one to overcome our own selfishness, our own ambitions, our own pretenses so that we might be united so that the world would know your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray.